what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am joined, as always, by Chris Fry. The two of us consist of the... Uh, Founders and directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how's it going? It is going well. Uh, we kind of had a theme last time where it was like the third movies by directors. It was like, I guess, Ari Aster's third movie, and then the other one was something three. I can't remember what, even what we did. Oh, I don't Anyways, remember. There was I, some I did loose not pay theme that much of three is a magic number, whereas this time we have, we're going to review three movies but the interesting thing is that they're all like based on true stories. So we have. Oh, good point. Yeah. I did not pick so up we actually, on that. We're kind of, we're working behind the scenes. No, we're not to uh, bring themes to our It podcast. honestly is just pure luck that it turned out that way. Right. Um, but you're right. The, the movies we're going to be discussing on, on this week's episode are all about uh, true stories. And um, as Chris alluded to, we'll be reviewing some films for you. That's going to be the bulk of the show that we have. As we talk about three films that are all new releases and available, uh, two of them are in theaters, one of them available online for streaming. We'll be discussing uh, the film, latest film by director Stephen Williams. It is uh, Chevalier, and it's uh, about the true story of the composer Joseph Bologna. Then we'll be moving on to a documentary about a famous uh, actor that we're all familiar with, Michael J. Fox, the film is called Still, a Michael J. Fox movie that we'll be discussing here shortly. And then we'll be wrapping up our reviews with the film Blackberry, directed by Matt Johnson and starring Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton, uh, talking about the rise and fall of the world's first, quote, smartphone. So three movies, three true stories to be digging into with this, uh, this episode. Then we'll be coming back and talking about some movie news items, some upcoming productions or interesting notes about films that we're hearing about that are either in production or about to be released. And uh, Chris and I will cap off the show at the end of the episode with our uh, recommendations, a film that he and I both, well, each independently want to recommend as something we think is worth checking out if you have the time and want to be uh, seeing something that's coming up weekend and you want to do it from the comfort of your own home through a streaming or online service. Okay, Chris, three reviews. That's a little higher than we normally do. <laughs> so we may have to kind of just jump right into this and sure. get started. Let's go right into our first review, which is the film Chevalier. Welcome to Paris, Joseph. Monsieur, I fear this will not be a kind place to such a boy. Boy has talent, but one in particular that is exceptional. Very well. I realized the more I exiled. Chevalier is based on the true story of composer Joseph Bologna, who became the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, 
but he himself, the illegitimate son of an African slave and a French plantation owner, he rises to heights in French society as a composer, also as a uh, expert fencer. And uh, we come to find out several, several other attributes about him. He becomes very really well known for, but it's all possibly doomed by an ill-fated love affair that he has along the way. Um, Chris, we showed this film to our film society just recently as a, as one of our featured screenings for the month. And I know one of the reasons you and I were interested in, in selecting this film to come and be shown was for the lead actor, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Uh, for those not familiar with the name, uh, that's not a surprise because it's not a, he's not a household name yet, but he has been in several productions that we've seen. Uh, most recently for me, I think it was Cyrano, which was the, um, um, Cyrano de Bergerac story retelling that was done, uh, not too long ago within the last uh, couple of years. And then he was also one that came onto our, our radars with the film loose from several years ago where he was the lead in that film. Uh, both of those films, I thought he was very, very good. So knowing that he was going to be headlining a historical drama based on a true story, um, about a, a just a, a fascinating character, uh, some extremely talented character, uh, definitely perked up our ears. Now, my question to you, Chris, is going in with a little bit of anticipation of his performance and knowing that he was headlining this film, did the film suit his talents? Did his talents meet the film? Uh, how did it all come together for you at the end of the day, watching Chevalier? I mean, Kelvin Harrison is the reason to watch this film. Um, the film, the film overall is okay. Um, you know, it's a, it's a period piece, which isn't necessarily my genre of choice. Um, a period piece biography. The good news is I didn't really know anything about Joseph Bologna. So this was, I've never heard of this composer. So knowing going in, I was like, okay, well, what's the deal with this dude? And I thought they did a good job of avoiding a typical trapping of a biopic where they literally show you him as a baby and all the, like literally every seems like <laughs> every day of his life. And you just kind of, by the end you're like, okay. And obviously I know this ends with the guy's death. Um, but this avoided that where they show you a little bit of the beginning, they show you some flashbacks, but for the most part you see him as this figure in society in France. Mm -hmm. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, what, what causes this dude? Why do I not know his name? Like I know Mozart who was in the film briefly. Um, why do, why do I not know him as one of our great composers? Well, the film answers that. Um, so I, I did enjoy that about it, but overall the other performances kind of faded to the background maybe because Kelvin Harrison is such a dominant presence. And I, I mean, I guess he needs to be, he's the main subject of the film. So he, he, for me, was definitely the reason to see it, and I really enjoyed his performance. Um, kind of a question, Chevalier, he's a, he's a composer. Uh, he plays the violin. And in the film, something with, I always wonder is, is this actor, which you know is not uncommon, just kind of you know faking it, and then somebody is like the person's double or whatever. That's not unusual because, you know, <laughs> how can you be an actor and a really good violinist? Well, after the film, I kind of looked into it, and apparently he practiced for seven days a week, for six hours, for five months to hone his skills. Apparently, he had played violin in the past, but he really, like, doubled down on it. Now, does that – I mean, that kind of increases my 
appreciation for his performance that much more because he didn't have to do that. He could have just kind of gone in and, you know, they use cutaways and stuff like that to hide the fact that he's not the one playing. And it's not like the entire film just shows him playing all the time. I mean, they show snippets, but it's not, it's not the whole basis of the film. Like you mentioned, he's also an ex- expert fencer. He's mm-hmm. a soldier as well. He gets involved with politics. And so he does a lot of other stuff, but to put that kind of devotion into the role, I, I felt like it, I felt like it showed up on the screen. What what were your impressions of him and the film overall? Right. Well, I, I was. I also echo your sentiments on his performance. I thought he was very good. He's a very captivating character on film, and um, I will say that, that this film has a, a few things working for it that ultimately uh, makes me have a positive view of it and positive recommendation. His performance very strong. Two, the film is I think very very well shot. I think it's a very attractive film and just I, I I'm having a hard time describing it, but it's the, the, the shot selection, the, the, the cinematography in general, the clarity of the shots, the, 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 the use of color, the use of other elements. It just, it's a very, very good looking film to watch. So I did enjoy it from a visual standpoint as well. Um, Story is probably, I'd say, the weakest element on it in that it is a telling of his history. And yes, uh, if you were to do a little research afterwards, you'd find that some elements of the story have been a little overdramatized for the film, which you kind of expect with these biopics. Sure. But um, I, I think the film ultimately didn't reach quite the heights I was hoping it would by the end of the film because I don't feel like the ending quite pulled the story all together in the way I was hoping. There are some very, very, very dramatic elements to the story. Some things I did not expect having to do with his, his affair that he had mm-hmm. and kind of the outcome of that affair and how that ended up was surprising to me. Sure. And then his role in as the French revolution was mounting and, and there was a lot more uh, at stake going on in French society at the time. The ending I felt like didn't quite, bring the rest of the film along with it where I felt like it really just kind of brought us to a great climax that we felt like we deserved and needed after seeing this story for the last hour and a half. That's my, my biggest takeaway with it is I just felt like the story, the, the writing on it wasn't as solid, especially as it came towards the, the home stretch to really make this a, the kind of film you walk away and say, okay, yeah, that, that totally worked as a film, but I, but it is worth watching. It is worth watching for the performance. It's worth watching for the visuals. I feel like for, for how it looks. Um, I'm like you, I'm not the biggest fan of period historical dramas. Um, but this one in that, in that genre, I think does rise a little bit above, uh, because of the character that we're following and the performances we see. So I, th- I think, um, you mentioned kind of how you thought, thought it was really well shot and just some other things. I, I, you know, cinematographer, obviously, but, um, which I don't have his name offhand, but the director, Stephen Williams, which you mentioned kind of at the top of the show, um, I was curious. I was like, you know, I've never heard of him as a director. He's done a lot of TV. This was his first feature film and specifically some of the more recent stuff that he's done. He did episodes of the Watchmen Mm -hmm. and he also did some Westworld. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Both very, very well visually interesting. uh, Right. And so I think I could definitely tell like kind of bringing that sensibility and both of those do obviously have some commentary. They're not just entertainment, but they're making some social commentary and seeing him choosing to do Chevalier that also has social commentary about this, you know, big figure and composer that, more or less gets kind of 
disappeared into history and we mm-hmm. haven't heard from him. And they do, I, I will, you know, we oftentimes we throw things under the bus for their run time. Um, this was an hour and 48 minutes. Um, and I feel like, I feel like maybe they were trying to please dummies like me that always complain that things are long for the sake of being long or uh, epic, especially mm-hmm. when you're telling a true story that things can kind of be epic length to feel like they tell somebody's breath of their entire story. I will say the ending, I could see that as a weak point. It just didn't quite tie things together. They yeah. didn't stick the landing, however you want to say it. I can I can concede that. I did appreciate that they unfortunately they did do it kind of with um they didn't they didn't go for like tears or whatever. They just kind of had it end, which was a little abrupt, but I could see how they were just kind of avoiding maybe trying to really pull your heartstrings or something. But which is a lot of weak point for some people, they did the black screen with the white white words on it that tell you like, okay, this is kind yeah. of how things played out. And it did answer for me, oh, okay, now I know why we haven't heard from this person. Well, it absolutely so. made sense. And I don't think there's a way you could really dramatize that on the film. So it made sense that that had to be that that text after the, at the end of the film. I get sure. that. Yeah, it wasn't even that that bothered me. It was more just... I felt like there were several through lines going on throughout the story. You had the issue of racism yep. still there sure. and the class structure that was based on that and how he was always kind of seen. Uh, he always, he started to feel later on in life that he was being treated more. Uh, I think the word, the phrase I heard was he was a tourist, yes. you know, in the French society. I think even his mother might've used that term with him. And then you had the mother's relationship and kind of her role in the film. You had, the whole relationship with the the the, um, the royalty with the Marie Antoinette, mm-hmm. kind of how that came apart, right? And then you also had his actual affair with someone he, he was in love with. Sure, all those things. I, I felt like I felt like the film just decided, you know what, we're just going to end. It's a very dramatic moment, or building to be a very dramatic moment at the end, but it it just didn't quite <laughs> bring all to the surface with it. I kind of just felt like we were left a little hanging on how some how some storylines resolved or how some different uh, elements of the story were going to move forward. So it's a little disappointing. And again, I, I think that was more of the writing. I think pacing of the film was overall fine throughout the rest of it. It's just as it got to the end, I, I don't really know if it knew how to, how to really uh, close this up in a, in a satisfying way. So it didn't. And uh, that was a little bit of a disappointment for me. But overall, I did feel like it was a really good movie. I do think anybody who's a, a fan of history, a big history buff, especially in the music world, wanting to learn about, you know, um, famous artists. This is absolutely a, a, an interest, a fascinating story to see. There is actually one thing the film chose not to go into reading up a little bit about the character afterwards. Yes. He was an expert violinist and yes, he, we see him fencing quite a bit, a few times in the film, but supposedly he was also an extraordinary swimmer and an extraordinary oh, wow. dancer. Oh, wow. And like people would travel all around from to, to, to come to France to see him perform a dance Wow! as well. So again, there was a lot of other elements that probably could have weighted the film down too much to try to cover all those areas. But um, he is definitely a fascinating character. If nothing else, I will say this film is good to exist because it does call some awareness of him as a person and his place in history. And it's fascinating to see how that story does end from the text credits, the the, the text at sure. the end. I just wish the film itself had lent itself more to that kind of ending. So, And there, I'll say, kind of echoing back to some of the comments, but giving examples about you and I have made about the look of the film and the direction of it. Um, 
I've said period pieces are kind of a hard sell, but the opening scene with the Mozart <laughs> face off. Yeah. Like, okay, that, that got me. Cause yeah, it's, it I got mean, your it's kind of a, a cliche, I guess, to have this big confrontation right at the beginning, but Hey, it worked. It's like a car crash action scene at the beginning of fast and furious. Yeah. And that can get you hooked. Well, this was a car crash between two big egos and it worked and it to did. immediately pull me in. And I could tell the kind of the audience sitting around me, they kind of felt the same way. Like, okay, you know, yeah. um, it's a shame but, it didn't actually happen, but that's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, we did find out after the yeah. fact in the discussion with the crowd yeah. that yes, that was more of a fabrication, yeah. but, but I'm sure good. that Mozart was aware of this person because of yeah. how his fame, you know, Oh, absolutely. Dwell, yeah, kind yeah. of bubbled up. Um, I'll say something else too which I'm not used to really seeing in period pieces. Mm -hmm. um, they did a relationship developing sequence between um, Joseph Bologna and the other, his like kind of love who comes to be, let me look, um, Samara Weaving was yeah. playing Marie Josephine. So they had this kind of, it was basically an un, well, it was, faked obviously, but it was kind of an uncut scene of their developing mm. relationship where they would do these pans and all of a sudden it would pan behind a curtain and then it would come out and it would be in another building right. or it would pan down to a sheet of music and then come up and be in a, and it was a way of instead of just doing, which we see all the time, a typical montage mm -hmm. with dissolves or cuts. This tried to kick it, it was, up a little oh, much. It was definitely visually interesting. And to, they did to, it. So as it was a, so it appeared to be an uncut sequence of time right. advancing. And to me, I was like, oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> you well, you try to keep me a little bit more engaged. Because it so. had two stories to tell in a relatively short period of time. It's the, the development of the play. This is a play that he has now been tasked with putting on right. in order to try to compete for the role of head of the, uh, the French symphony there, or Paris symphony. But at the same time, his, uh, the, the developing love affair he's having uh, with her as well. So yes, it, it had both those things going on and it did a great job of conveying both those stories in a visually interesting and relatively short uh, period of time there. So no, I, I do think that, I think the opening and I think that, that, that montage sequence were probably the standout moments for me of the film that really, I really appreciated outside of just his general performance and sure. just the character he brought to the table. Um, it's very brash, very, uh, high on himself character, but yet that also does play a little bit into the story, especially when does. his mother becomes a, a role in his life again later in the film. And I so. appreciated, um, you know, it's, it can be tempting when doing historical figures that you want to announce to the world and say, Hey, this person existed. They've been erased from history. Notice this person. It might would be tempting just to present them in a completely 100% positive light. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bother doing that. Yeah. Um, to, I think, the film's credit, they showed him that, yes, he struggled against racism. Yes, he struggled against classist, you know, people that were richer than him and how he couldn't marry because if he did, he would like all these things which they talk about. But at the same time, they don't paint him as this glowing, flawless mm -hmm. hero. No, he was brash. He kind of stuck his foot in his mouth sometimes. <laughs> and if he would have been possibly a little smarter, he might have managed to maneuver things better. But, you know, he's human, just like all of us. So they didn't steer away from showing yeah. his faults, which I think is a, a strength of the film. No, I, I agree. I agree. Well, that is Chevalier. I think yeah, it sounds like we're both positive on it, yeah. you know, for it being the kind of uh, genre and type of piece that it is. Uh, I, I definitely think anybody interested in the world uh, history, especially of this time period, or just music, just the, the origin of some of our greatest composers and creators, we'll find this really interesting. 
And I do think it's a worthwhile film to check out um, just because it, it definitely caused me to do some research on this, this individual afterwards and learn a little bit more about him. So the film does an admirable job with that. And I think it's fairly well made and, and interesting to watch. I wish it had just tied together an ending that really kind of serviced the rest of the film and, and made the rest of the film work in hindsight. And unfortunately I don't feel like it did. So that's my only kind of fault with it that uh, I can't give it a much higher uh, rating than that. Um, are we all summed up your thoughts? I mean, is that? Yeah, I think I think the the ending is the one, you yeah. know, kind of a weak little wink link. But overall, worst thing. Um, and if it had, you know, kind of really cemented that last bit, I think that could have elevated a little bit. Absolutely. But as is, still still good. Still a good movie. So yeah. that is Chevalier. It is was playing in theaters. I don't know for how much longer. I would imagine it's going to be available online fairly soon. Did not seem to have a very uh, financially successful run at the box office. I'll say, but. Uh, not a surprise the way the box office is faring these days. This is not the kind of film that packs in the crowds, unfortunately. So, uh, that is Chevalier. Now let's go ahead and move on Chris to our second review. It is the, I'm going to put in parentheses documentary, uh, still a Michael J. Fox movie. The story of me. Take two. Three, two, here we go. Ready and action. Wait a minute, doc. Ah, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? What did it mean to be still? I wouldn't know. I was never still. A ruffled haired 62 year old Michael J. Fox with a heavy five o'clock shadow stares directly into the camera. His whole body is trembling, resulting from Parkinson's disease. Off camera, documentary filmmaker Davis Guggenheim, the director, says, The sad sack story is Michael J. Fox gets this debilitating disease and it crushes him. Fox looks into the camera and responds, yeah, that's boring. How did this look at a TV and film star touted as what happens when an incurable optimist confronts an incurable disease play for you, Alan? Boring and self-serving or entertaining? Um, I I mean, I hate using the word entertaining because I, I, I don't, it's a tough, tough film to watch for me. All right, let me give you a little background. I'm sure I'm a huge Michael J. Fox fan. Okay, okay that back during the day, he was the guy I wanted to be uh, <laughs> when I was watching the movies. You know, Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies. We have a poster uh, hanging in our office. We do right outside <laughs> the hallway here. Uh, I'm a big fan. I, I I was even a fan back during Family Ties on the on the, the sitcom he was in. I was so happy when he became a movie star. I was so happy with most of the first early projects he did. Yes, did they kind of taper off in quality and I felt like I lost he lost a lot of steam? Yes. But I was still so excited to see this film because I knew there was an interesting story and of course I was very acutely aware of his Parkinson's disease diagnosis. Sure. Um this film um this film's good. It's good. And I like the creative choices they made with telling this story. For someone a character like Michael J. Fox who is so known to us through his TV and movie roles. Yes. To take, I mean, it seems like probably half the film's running time is footage of him in his various roles where they've pieced it together to make a line of dialogue or an action he's playing in the movie to act out his life. Okay. I hear as if there's a gigantic, but so-and-so coming. I got to say, I think this movie's genius. No, there's no but. 
I, okay. I, I think it's good. I have no. I really don't have any any feed any okay. criticism okay. other than it's just a tough. It's a tough watch for me. Mm. Okay, that's my only. That's just my only emotionally. Oh. Emotionally, oh. it's a okay. tough watch. Got you. But no, I think I think the way it tells the story is fascinating. Oh, I mean, because really, if you look at it, there's there's three types of content they use in this film. Mm-hmm. One, which is a good maybe twenty uh, percent of the film, is Michael J. Fox, as you described, looking at the camera at sixty two years old, and you see him. Struggling. Struggling. You see him <laughs> trying to be himself in front of the camera and it's tough. Yep. Then you've got another portion of the film, which are reenactments. Which I think are They look really amazing. good. <laughs> they're really good. No, they're reenactments of yeah. scenes to sure. basically kind of highlight his story. And then you've got the rest of the film, which again, I still think was so clever the way they did it, where it's taking scenes out of context from other films and TV, but yet it's just, you know, for example, if it's a... If if you, we hear Michael J. Fox now narrating this to say I got a phone call, they show a clip of him from some movie picking up a <laughs> phone and like saying something that would be similar to what he would have been saying in real life. Right. And I love that. I mean, I just imagine having to watch, have to put together all of his footage, all of his films and TV shows, and finding those moments that kind of help tell this story is pretty impressive. Right. Um. So no, I love the format. I love the storytelling uh, devices in the film. Again, my only. It doesn't make it mean not like the film. Sure. It's just man, is it's tough. He, you see him. He has. There's no barrier. Uh, there's no veil in front of seeing him struggling with the disease. And I think even at the very beginning, we have a moment where it's even him just walking out on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. and you see him fall. Yes, and you see him later in the film have broken bones in his face, and it's just wow. It is. It's a tough. It's a tough film, but. Very well done. It made me much, much more aware of the impacts of Parkinson's I've ever really thought about and been aware of. Sure. Hearing about his history during the time where the diagnosis came about and he's still trying to work and seeing some of the scenes that they actually showed you of how he's trying to cover it up on screen. was just really interesting to me as well. So anyway, I no, I, I thought this was really, really good. I, yeah, I liked I, it quite a bit. So sounds like you're a fan, but tell me, oh tell man, me why. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan and it is a tough watch, um, but it's, it's so rewarding. And like you say, just kind of to educate me about Parkinson's, which yes, I knew what it was. Yes. I was aware that Michael J. Fox had it. Um, but I just, to learn about how it manifests itself and kind of the progression of it. And yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. And I was not aware of Michael J. Fox's, um, his struggle to become famous, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which this does, it does start him out as, you know, a little kid and, you know, it kind of moves along really quickly, but it shows you how he was always very energetic and always kind of on the move and everything. And his times in Hollywood where, he was living in an apartment and dumpster diving. So mm-hmm. not, not doing well. And then things started to click. And once they clicked, yes, they clicked and he did well. Um, so yeah, it was just really interesting. Um, and to, like you said, kind of how they would mention how he tried to handle coping and hide. That was another big thing of the film is not being who you truly were and hiding from people and the toll that that took on him and his family and his relationship with his wife mm-hmm. And, you know, hiding from people and using prescription medication, of course, to try to hide the tremors of Parkinson's and just the things that looking back now, I want to say maybe I, it didn't sink in, but like the way he would always have props in his hands yeah. and looking back now, I'm like, 
Yeah. And there was one specific instance that I feel like I definitely remember seeing and thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, that's kind of an odd motion. Was there's a motion where he's on, I think it's Spin City. Yeah, it's all Spin City. And yeah. he's using a telephone in one hand and he's mm-hmm. kind of like waving it around. And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of weird. But he's like, you know, frustrated and hairy. But uh, it struck me as an interesting way to do that scene. And now it's like, well, no, that's how he was pushing through. And you're like, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really, I don't know, profound. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll say, I, I think that, you know, we've already talked about kind of the innovative use of, of footage and, and all to, to tell this story. Another choice made in this documentary, which you normally don't see is there are no other interviews with any other person. And I think that's, I think yeah. that's a good choice. It is all Michael J. Fox. Other than you occasionally will hear the director kind of from behind the scenes, kind of quizzing a little bit and interjecting, but otherwise no, you know, his wife you, you see in the film, but you see it from, a true documentary standpoint, there's no sit down interview. There's no other stars. There's no other co-stars or anything, right? which again was nice. I mean, um, just to be able to spend the time just with Michael J. Fox talking through his own story. And, uh, you know, and part of it is him reading and they even show you that they have no, there's no, there's no hiding that it's him sitting at a microphone sometimes trying to like narrate his own story. That's already written out for him. Uh, and then the rest of the time is him talking very openly directly to the camera. So it was a, it was some great creative choices in this film. And I think it helped overall with the, uh, with the relationship you have with Michael throughout the film. And then just that understanding of the pain. There's one moment where I think somebody even asked, it's like, we haven't really talked about the pain. Are it's you like, in pain? Are you in pain? And it's like, you know, yes. yes. I mean, like <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you, you, you needed to hear that from him. I didn't want to hear that from a doctor. No, no, I didn't no. want to hear that no, from no, somebody no. else. You want to hear it from him. And I think the film was, was really powerful in that respect. Well, and I think if I'm understanding correctly, he's written at least one book, but I think, mm-hmm. more, and I think some of those scenes, it was like, that's kind of the structure of the documentary. Yeah. It was kind of like, okay, it's kind of narrating my audio book of the autobiography, of that, but yeah. then we'll add interviews and we'll add, you know, other stuff just extremely well done. And you, you call out specifically, or you mentioned that scene where, you know, the guy off camera, I guess it's David Guggenheim says yeah. something about pain mm-hmm. and he's like, well, yeah. And the way he handles that question and a, you, I can't help but think if there's like a little, he's still performing, he's in front mm-hmm. of a camera, mm-hmm. but the kind of glimmer in his eye and he's like, yeah, but I don't want to lead with that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like he's still able to make jokes or make light of it. He realizes the grave situation he is, the fact that he is in pain, the fact that it's a struggle, but yeah, there's just something really cool about the fact that he can carry that off and he yeah you know he's still i hope it seems is getting joy out of life which is kind of awesome yeah so. yeah i um yeah i i think if you are already a fan of him as an actor or just you know i think this only grows your admiration for him as a person um and, and i think it spent just the right amount of time at different elements of his life i mean sure. again i didn't want to we just talked about with Chevalier. We didn't really want a birth to death <laughs> right. type of thing. And we right. obviously don't have that here. We do get a little bit as him as a young child, you yeah. know, for about a few minutes, but a majority of it is him as an actor. And, you know, I'd say the first half of the film is really getting to know uh, the, the, the trials and, and struggles he went through to become an actor. But then once he became a big star, kind of what came along with that, then that latter half is, okay, now this diagnosis has hit, and how does that affect my career? How does it affect me, my family? Um, 
and at that point it became a much more exploratory film. So, um, no, I'm, I'm a big fan. I thought it, thought it was great. It's not one. Unfortunately, I, I really feel like I can watch again. Oh man. It's really? Just, no, because it's just tough. It's yeah, just it, tough. It it's, is, I'll say I, you know, knowing we were going to review this today, my wife yeah. saw it come up. It is streaming on Apple TV plus yeah. and she saw it come up and she's like, Hey, have you seen this? I'm like, yeah, but I'll, Alan and I are going to review it tomorrow. I'll totally watch it again. Yeah. And it was, it was just as good the second. No, time. no, I look, I'm not arguing this. Good. I just, <laughs> sure. you know, it's just, I get it. it. It is tough seeing someone that you kind of feel like you grew up with a little bit in you know, your teenage years and film wise. And then to see them struggling the way they are. It is, it's a tough watch. So I do, I just give that as a little bit of a word of caution to people. I think, you know, uh, I know my wife watched it with me as well and she really had a difficult time oh, watching really? it. Okay. Uh, it's an excellent documentary, but it is challenging at times just seeing, um, for anybody who really can kind of emotionally, emotionally sympathize with someone. It's, it's a tough watch. So, sure. um, but, but well done. Very, very well done. And so I, happy they did not go at, uh, such a traditional documentary format for this. And, well, and I'll, uh, I'll say too, we've I've said his name a couple of times. Uh, David Guggenheim, this yeah. is not his first go round. Oh, he no. did the uh, inconvenient truth environmental yeah. documentary. That was the uh, Al Gore uh, kind of focused one. Yeah. Yep. And he did, uh, he named me Malala, which mm-hmm. that became really successful and waiting for Superman about education. Malala, oh, yeah. Malala was the one about the girl that I believe was in Afghanistan. Yes. And had, you know, so, and now she's like a big human rights person. So he's done a lot of documentaries, but I have to say by far, and I guess it, this is my favorite of his, mm-hmm. I think just because it was, had the advantage of having so much stock footage, but yeah. just really creatively done and just, man, just really well done. Yeah. So. I, I agree with you. I think it's a very, very good documentary. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad I saw it. Um, but just do caution people that, have a tough time watching someone struggle as much during the film. It, it, it can be challenging, um, but it's a very worthwhile watch for sure. sure. Okay. Well, that is still a Michael Jock J Fox movie. As Chris mentioned, that is on Apple TV plus. So you do need to be an Apple TV plus subscriber to see it. But of all the streaming services, that is the one that's the least expensive and oh, might have <laughs> me free for the first year. If you buy a, an iPhone or Mac or something like that. I don't and know you may already be is. streaming Ted Lasso or something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. For all you Ted Lasso fans, it's there waiting <laughs> yeah. for you as well. Right. Okay, Chris, let's move on to our third and final review of the episode, which is the film Blackberry. Yeah, what can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America, and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the force. Chris, in the film Blackberry, uh, writer and director Matt Johnson, who also is in the film himself, um, tells the story of the meteoric rise and catastrophic demise of the world's first smartphone, the Blackberry, uh, hence the title of the film. Chris, uh, I may have put myself at a disadvantage with this review. Okay. Because I'm open disclosure. I saw this uh, a little while back and I believe I came in the next morning um, (laughs) pretty high on this film, raving about it. I have seen your rating in Letterboxd. Yeah. So I feel like that uh, as I look back on it and think about it, I'm like, oh boy, I shouldn't have probably done that because now 
I know how it is. If somebody plays up a film, you go in with higher expectations, you got to see it. Sometimes you walk away disappointed or maybe not meeting the the heights that your colleague had led you to believe it was going to be. So my only question to you, uh, this film starring Jay Baruchel and, and Glenn Howerton as uh, Jay plays Mike Lazardius, who technically the founder of BlackBerry, he's the kind of the creative and technical mind behind it. Glenn Howerton playing Jim Basile, who becomes the kind of the CEO executive of of uh, of BlackBerry, their dynamics together and how it changes the culture of the organization and then the challenges they face as they try to roll this product out. All that given a take. Did I did I uh, did I set this up for a, a unfair review for your end or <laughs> did did by some miracle this actually met the uh, the high raves that I threw out there for you from your perspective? So I th- it it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that keep it from being great, mm-hmm. um, but it it is good. Um, I think especially if you're anybody who's interested in tech stories it's enjoyable to watch and it's not going to probably teach for me. Oh, of course, who wasn't aware of the Blackberry? That'd be like asking somebody today, have you ever heard of an iPhone? Um, you know, if you ask somebody 10 years ago, have you ever heard of it? They'd be like, duh. Um, so I did not know a lot of the ins and outs of things. And there again, just like with Chevalier, some things may have been adjusted. <laughs> um, but, um, it was, it was fascinating to watch. I, Jay Baruchel, aware of the fellow, um, I think this is probably the best thing I've ever seen him in and do, um, in my opinion. Um, so I, I was pleased to see him be able to do a role where the kind of trans his story arc is kind of shy, meek, brainiac, and then he kind of morphs into like an evil shadow of Steve Jobs, <laughs> um, which is an interesting kind of thing to yeah. see. Um, so that that was that was interesting. However, I will say. Um, the highlight of the film for me and my, my wife watched this with me. And every time this guy would talk, she was just like, Oh my gosh. Cause he was so scene chewing and over the top, but it was like, well, okay. You know, he, the moment he hit the screen, he was this way. Um, Glenn Howerton per- portraying Jim. I've never watched this, uh, always sunny in <laughs> Philadelphia. So I had no idea who this dude was. And man, he is just, the fast talking pitch man stereotype who is just, I mean, he is the shark's shark. He is the king shark and just never with one iota of guilt or remorse about anything he's doing. Um, man, I mean, mustache twirling from the time he hits the screen, but mm-hmm. so what? Like he, he owns it. Uh, that's, that's kind of my take. Um, before I let you give some of your compliments, I will say the, the shortcoming for me, I think, mm-hmm was, um, and I'm unfamiliar with his other films. This is not his first film, Mm -hmm. but the shortcoming for me was Matt Johnson. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt the direction was a little uneven maybe with the first going for this very office aesthetic camera zoom type thing, which Mm -hmm. was okay, but then it's just a hard shift away from that and it goes away from that. I guess because the tone of the movie, I can Mm -hmm. rationalize it because there is a little bit of comedy and then it kind of completely goes away and then it's nothing serious backstabbing. And that's when it, you know, kind of is shot more like a typical movie. But for me that also, I guess the tone, the marketing for this film is of course trying to get people with the comedy thing because mm-hmm. you know, that gets people in theaters. But for me that maybe was oversold a little bit. And mm-hmm. so it was a little jarring. Plus <laughs> Matt Johnson's Doug <laughs> as being the one of the people that was in the company too, from the beginning I'm not 
sure of how the real person is. I'm not <laughs> sure if he's as ridiculous looking or acting, yeah. but the fact that he goes into a business meeting with still like a John McEnroe hairband on, yeah. but he's in a suit. <laughs> My wife was like, seriously? And I'm like, uh, ah, you know, yeah. maybe there's some, ba- but so like, and the, then at that point in the film, the comedy doesn't work. Cause you're like, wait, this is like, it's already kind of made a shift, but yet it, I don't know. It felt like he was in a different movie that was never taking anything seriously. Hmm. Whereas the other people in this film, they're joking because everything is at the beginning. Yeah. They sit around and play on the internet all day. Yeah. They get their work done, but they're very like eat a mm. bunch of pizza. They're a bunch of nerds and you know, being nerds and stuff. But then there's a shift and it's like the director never made the shift along with the rest of the film or Doug. I, mm. I don't know. What, what are you, some of your, some of your thoughts? I, I, I know nothing what you're talking about criticism <laughs> on this film. So I love this film. Okay. I had such, you know, it, you tell me, um, you tell me you're going to make a film about a product and it's a business film and sure. it's, you know, all this, I can already predict the film in my head. I, mean, I got it. And does this veer dramatically away from other films we've seen? Not really. I mean, it's still pretty much the same format. It's still the same period of time we're following it's the same hey here's the here's the business on the uprise it's starting to get some attention and oh now here it's crested and of course now it's got to go downhill something's got to go wrong so it's the same format like there's no surprise there i just found this to be probably the most entertaining and fascinating way to watch the story fall out and okay yeah just to me it is the characters it is the acting it is the pace of the film it is the not being afraid to go a little techie on some things. I mean, there are some things I feel like if you are just a neophyte with technology, there's some things that probably are not going to make sense or really kick in as much as it did for me. I mean, me watching this, I'm, I'm hearing them describe the the challenge they've got with bandwidth throttling on certain <laughs> number. I'm like, yeah, I totally could see that. I right. get that. And it's like that heightened the drama for me. Sure. I understand it may not work as well for some other people if they're just not really deep in the tech world as much. Um, but I don't know, man, this was just, this is just so entertaining to me. Uh, I never found myself restless or bored. I think it just worked. But I will say, I think the first two thirds of it are infinitely better than the last third. Okay. But I still think the last third is still very, very good. Okay. Um, I do feel like it loses a little bit of its steam in that last third. Um, which is a shame because if it could have kept up this pace, for two hours straight, that would have been extremely impressive. Gotcha. Um, but it just goes so hard. Those first two thirds <laughs> that I, I, it's just, I'm sure it just kind of, it buckles a little bit under the weight, you know, sure. when things get really serious. Yeah. It does lose some of that energy and momentum that I think it just so uh, charitably built up in the first two thirds, but that's my only little feedback. And even that's not even a negative. That's just a, Hey, wouldn't it have been awesome if this could have kept up for the remaining 40 <laughs> minutes of the film? Um, but man, I just, I had such a good time. And yes, I'm going to tell you, uh, this is not the kind of film that is uh, probably going to get any Oscar nominations, but I tell you what, Glenn Howerton, Glenn Howerton <laughs> I will fight to my dying day on this one. I do think he deserves something for this. Well, maybe, maybe he could squeeze in. I mean, it's early in the year. It's not anywhere. I mean, it's just now summer season, but if he could get putting a lot for maybe supporting that way, that's a little bit yeah. usually easier field than trying to go for lead. Cause man. technically, but yeah, he's, he is a dynamo to watch. And yeah. I mean, 
he's playing an extremely accentuated version of his character from Always Sunny on in Philadelphia. He? Okay. He's a he's a smart ass. He is a very cocky, a little arrogant on the show. Okay. Can be a little loud at times, can get a little flustered and, and aggravated, but nothing to like his Jim <laughs> Balsill here in the film. Um my gosh. Yeah, if this guy's not specifically in a business meeting, he's almost always using like loud profanity. And my wife was like, "Oh my gosh!" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. he's he's very out there." So, it was, yeah. but she admitted she's like, "Yeah, that guy was amazing." No, that, <laughs> so. that, it's such a fun film to watch, such enjoyable. Yes, there are. It does end on a. I mean, BlackBerry fails as a company. I think it's all you know, we yeah. all, we all know this, and, and people are there's a reason you don't see Blackberries anymore <laughs> because right. they didn't work out. Right. And the moment when the iPhone is announced, I think is a pretty I mean, they, they played that moment right where it was like dramatic and it was like, you just get the sense of, wow, the rest of the world is just so excited and eager. And then you see the room where these guys are and they see this announcement you happen know, and it just, uh, it's actually Alan, that's really a good. really good point. Yeah. And I'd like to kind of, yeah, I, I liked the movie, but I think something about the tone and maybe if I went back and watched it a second time, it wouldn't bother me, but for instance, in the trailer, a lot is being played for comedy. They show kind of the iPhone announcement in the trailer and the way it's played, it's like, oh, it's, you know, you know it's going to be tragic for this company, but it's, yet it's funny. And I think at that point in the film, it was all serious and you see that happen. And I was like, oh yeah, this, and it's like, just because it was what I was expecting going in and it wasn't, it wasn't set up that way that, like you're saying, the last third, something about it just kind of jarred. Yeah. It's still good. And I will say a movie that we've talked about recently here on the show and this different, different product, but still kind of shows you a lifespan of a product a little bit air where it's talking about the Jordan sneakers and everything. Um, That film had really solid acting. I felt like, but something about you never, there were, weren't stakes. I I never felt like anything was in jeopardy. I never felt like there was a chance that they weren't going to succeed. No, because like you were kind of said at the time, these Nike executives, they're not like, you know, struggling. The company's not a failing company. No, they, this one division may just not make it. Mm -hmm. And then we, we all know how it turns out. So despite Viola Davis and Matt, you know, these really good performances, it's just kind of like, Meh. Okay. Yeah. You know, whereas this film, like the way it was done, it did keep you engaged and interested, despite the fact that yes, we all know that the BlackBerry. Well, the thing for me is, I, I knew that Blackberries are no longer around, but I didn't know how the company ultimately ended up. So there was some sense of drama there. It's like gotcha. I didn't know that were these guys going to come out still successful and be able to walk away successful or did they move on to some other business and help revolutionize something else? I don't know because I didn't really research it ahead of time. So that's where I like this. I like this a lot better than air. I still liked air. Sure. This to me worked so much better because I was really engaged in the story. I really wanted to know where these things were going. I will tell you, I don't know if you picked up any of the similarity. Um, The social network is a film that, Hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of this here. I could see the DNA okay. of that here. Kind of, uh, you know, you've got the very um, um, one individual, the kind of the creative spirit behind the the, the product mm-hmm. that's maybe not the most uh, social, not the most business savvy, just very intent on wanting to do what they want to do. And then all the uh, forces around them, the business, the legal, all these things around them. But most notably, I don't know, the last scene of this film, I actually think is... Really good, 
heartbreaking in the airport hangar. Yeah. 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 To me. And that almost reminded me so much of the last scene from the social network where if you recall, Zuckerberg had just finished like some depositions. He's in the, the court cases are going on legal proceedings. Everybody's left a room. He's left on his laptop and he's, um, is he, he's searching for, like a friend request he searches for, uh, he makes a friend request to the girl from the beginning of the film right. that kind of dumped him yes. at a first date. And it's a little bit of that sense of desperation. It's a little bit of like, okay, I, you know, this is one thing I'm sure I'm trying to cling on to. It's basically what happens at the end of this film in a different format, but the same idea. You see who it, this character is at his core, what he really cares about. And that one thing he's trying to cling on to, to be able to, he has control over now, now that everything else has kind of escaped him and lo- left. Sure. Um, it's heartbreaking. And it honestly was a very heartbreaking scene for me at the end. Um, <laughs> which I mean, is kind of crazy to think after the, the, the previous two hours that we saw, but, uh, I, I, I admired the film. I, I really thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, I'm afraid I, I played it up a little, little much for you. Um, I, 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 I apologize for that. I will try not to do that again. Um, well, will you let me have this pick for when we meet with the guys from the entrepreneurship exchange? Oh uh, yeah, and that's we get true. To do our business recommendation of the year. Well, like, somebody has to bring somebody's going to bring this movie if There's a lot of business lessons you could pull from this film. For sure. Sure. I am a huge fan of this film. Sounds like you're, you like it. It's positive. Not as high on it as I am, but that's okay. Um, I, I like to have my, my hero films, the ones I like to put up on a pedestal, the ones I want to get people to go see. I have been telling everybody about this film the best I can. I may go see it again this week. Fair enough. Uh, with, with, uh, with somebody else, just because I, I think other fans will appreciate this. So, uh, that is the film Blackberry, uh, written and directed by Matt Johnson, starring ba- Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton, and Matt Johnson as well. Uh, it's an IFC film, which is kind of interesting, and I can't remember the last time I saw an IFC-produced film make it to the theater. So that's True. kind of a good sign. True. Um, that it did get a theatrical run for this, and it actually even made it to our, our town here in Western North Carolina, so that's not too bad. Yeah. But I don't think it'll be there long, so I do encourage everybody to rush out and go see it if you get a chance. Uh, hopefully it'll be online before too long. Cause I, I definitely want more people to see this. So good, good soundtrack. Yeah. The sound, I appreciated the soundtrack so much more than the heavy needle drops that we saw in air. Um, <laughs> air had, I mean, sure there was good music, but I felt like it was forced and just didn't always fit this one. The music worked. It was a great soundtrack going for that kind of mid nineties, uh, vibe everywhere. So it was great. Yeah. Okay. So that is our third and final film review, Blackberry. So recap, Chevalier, still a Michael Jackson movie, and Blackberry. All three positively reviewed films. By Michael us. J. Fox movie. Still a Michael Jackson movie would have been oh my interesting. Gosh. Did I say Michael Jackson? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I see it on the screen, Michael J., and I right. just kind of fill in the blank. <laughs> sure. so. Still a Michael J. Fox movie, yeah. not a Michael Jackson movie. Um, all three positive reviews from us yes. with varying degrees of, of, of positiveness, but uh, three good movies that we're wanting to recommend for everybody to check out. Now, we're going to take a quick little break uh, for a station ID or whatever we play at this little moment here. When we come back, though, it's going to be uh, some news items we've got. I think we've got three uh, production and news items of note to share with you. And then we'll get into our recommendations at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. There's still more to come here on Foot Candle Films. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. 
Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. So Chris and I just finished our three reviews of Chevalier, still a Michael J. Fox movie, and Blackberry. All three positive reviews from the two of us. Let's move on to some movie news, some uh, items of interest coming out of the movie production world. Uh, we like to kind of keep our eye on the news to see if there's some interesting projects come along the way, especially under certain directors that we're curious about or wanting to see. So I've got one. I think, Chris, you've got one. And then we'll, we'll talk about a film that we're both, I know, excited to see or interested to see at this point. Let me start us off first. Uh, the Cannes Film Festival is starting up, coming up this week as we're recording right now. Chris, I know we were planning to go. <laughs> But then I had some conflicts come up. Right. I couldn't make it. Right. Uh, I don't, you're, you're not going, right? I, I'm, I didn't want to go and make you feel bad, I so I decided that. to not go. I appreciate that. So. That's good. Well, see, we're in solidarity here at the Foot Candle Films podcast. Right. Uh, but the Camp Film Festival is going on, uh, coming up this week as you're hearing this. Um, kind of an interesting point. We're in the midst, and we haven't really talked about this yet. We're in the midst of a Writers Guild of America strike as the time of this recording. Right. Where that means that writers of television, film, and, and, and such have gone on strike. So there is no original writing going on at this point. Right. What makes that kind of interesting is Cannes is a film festival where you take projects and, uh, you know, they get bought and sold to try to distribute. So right now, uh, because of that strike going on, sounds like there's a lot of scripts that have already been made before the writer's strike okay. that are now kind of hot commodities because it's like, okay, got to do something. <laughs> if we got a good, if we have a good script, right. And there's maybe a good cast already attached to it. We're ready to kind of like lean in on that because sure. we need the projects We're we're afraid that it could be six months, could be not a year. Who knows uh, how long the strike goes on? We don't know. Right. But that all that time means no original stuff being written. So one project in particular, and I'm so torn on this, uh, Chris, because I'm not a big fan of the director, but I'm always curious about this director. Okay. And now hearing about this project and the, the stars attached to it, I'm definitely more interested. Okay. So one script that supposedly and project that is getting a lot of buzz right now because it's a completed script and it's got some big actors attached to it is the new Ron Howard movie. Oh, I don't know anything about this. Exactly. Okay. There you go. Now I like Ron Howard. Okay. All right. I think Ron <laughs> Howard is a very safe director. I think he gets brought in to make projects that they just want to, they don't want to take any chances with. They just want it to be done as clean and simple as possible. I don't think he's a very daring director. I don't think there's really any moment of his films I can look at and say, wow, that was impressive. His films are serviceable. It's They get the job done. And they do okay with that. And I don't think there's anything. He's a he's like a workman's person director, and I mean that in the best way. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. he's not gonna. He's not there to like put his own spin on something. He's yeah. there just to make movies and make them good. And yeah, like, do I like all his films, or do I think they're like? Yeah, you know, he's not one of my favorite directors, but I think he's a good director. So okay. I'm I'm curious, especially a script coming about to him the way it, you're describing. I'm curious what the film is. <laughs> so this film, uh, and again, it's only in early production. Sure. It's got stars attached to it, but it's going to be called Origin of Species. Oh, it is interesting. A, it is a survival thriller. Oh, okay, not what I thought it was. Okay. <laughs> it's about two different accounts of the same true story, 
a darkly comic tale of murder and survival about a group of people who abandoned civilization to go live in the Galapagos. Oh, wait, it's Owen Wilson. The story of like, I mean, not Owen Wilson, but E.O. Wilson, like Origin of Species is a book he wrote. Okay, maybe so. I don't know. Wow. No, this um, is, it sounds interesting. Well, but get this. Here's the stars. This is where I, I'm interested. Okay. Uh, the four stars that have already signed on to be in this film, Anna de Armas. Okay. Jude Law. Okay. Alicia, uh, Alicia Vikander. Oh, wow. And Daniel Bruhl. Wow. I'm like, is okay. one of them playing Darwin? Do you know Doesn't one say. of the males? Cause that Darwin, it was like, yeah, Wilson was this big, like environmental person who wrote a book called origin of the speech or no Darwin wrote origin of the species. But anyways, that I'm, I'm curious. So it's based on, it says based on a true story. Okay. Two account, two different accounts of the same true story. Interesting. So I don't know if it's a true stelling of. Well, and it could be people that. competing with Darwin exactly. at the time to try to get the whole thing or out there. Or it could be research. a more modern take on people who are trying to follow uh, wow. some of the ideas there. Man, I, don't know. I, I could not be more excited for the next Ron Howard joint. All right. Well, there you go. That is, uh, wow. okay. uh, doesn't have specifics about who these actors are going to be playing. Sure. Um, but that is what we know at this point. And uh, again, yeah, the script's done. Okay. Uh, the script is by uh, the same guy. This is the only drawback for me. The guy who did the script for Tetris, Noah Pink, which I was not the biggest fan of that script. Okay. And that project in general. Right, which we reviewed here on the show. Yeah, but it is a film that right now they can, everybody can kind of say, yeah, it's not going to be affected by the strike at all. It's, it's, we can move forward with this. Um, but yeah, for me, now probably every like, biologist scientist person that's listening to this show is probably like screaming like, no, you idiot. It's like Darwin and I, yeah, well, I, somehow all that stuff plays in, but I'm, I'm not sure how, but I just no. know that like origin of the species, I think Darwin wrote that word, but it's just interesting because it's like taking history, but kind of making it entertaining. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. And maybe of course, falsifying stuff, but making it a piece of entertainment. I I'm, I'm on board. All right. Well, I like all four of the actors. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm yeah. curious to see them uh, work together. Daniel Bruhl, especially. I know he worked with Ron Howard in Rush. Yes, which is there. a film I like. That may be one of my favorite I, Ron Howard films. I'm with Rush. you. I think uh, of Chris his, Hemsworth was in that as yeah, well. Yeah, of his yeah. more modern films in the last you know 20 years, I do think Rush is really really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm very curious. Haven't seen Alicia Vikander much lately either. So be kind of me neither there and uh, yeah. Anyway. I'm intrigued. Uh, I wish I was more of a fan of Ron Howard's films in general. And I'm a little concerned about the script, but, um, concerned about like the script just because it's like the right, the, the, the writer. When, when Tetris is the latest credit oh, oh, you've I got see. to share with that I writer, see. I'm like, okay, well that, you haven't quite won me over with that yet, but we'll I see. I got you. All right. So that is uh, origin of species coming out sometime soon, uh, as whenever they get it finished. Chris, what have you got for us on a news item to share? Alan, what's the last Tim Burton movie you saw? Oh, I know where you're going with this. Okay. Last Tim Burton movie I saw. Movie. Yeah. Oh, boy. What was the last Tim Burton movie I saw? Well, let me let me tell you his most recent movie. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, 2019's Dumbo. Did you see it? Did not see Dumbo. I didn't either. Did you see Miss Peregrine's Home? I did see that one. Children? I did see that one. Okay. So that was my last Tim Burton. That's your last one. I went to the movie theater and saw that. Yes. Okay, you and I historically are both big Tim Burton fans mm-hmm. up until about Alice in Wonderland. Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and then Alice in Wonderland, we kind of jumped no, off. No, Sweeney Todd was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, Alice in Wonderland was not. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So, um, 
his next project. Oh, he worked on, which this plays a little bit. Did you watch the Netflix series Wednesday? I did not. Okay. Uh, I, I've been wanting to, but I have not got around to seeing it. But I've heard good things and yeah, sound yeah. like it is done pretty well for him. Yeah, I I I liked it. I watched it. Um, Jen, Jenna Ortega plays mm-hmm. Wednesday of the Addams Family. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a really good job. Sure. Uh, I think it's been renewed for a second season. Yes. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm mm-hmm. here to talk about the movie that has not only been greenlit, but has been given a delivery date of September 6, 2024. Um, so I guess the script there again must have been written and not affected by the writer's strike <laughs> because apparently it's happening. Uh, is Beetlejuice 2. Beetlejuice 2. Michael Keaton is on board to play Mr. Beetlejuice himself. Winona Ryder's coming back. Catherine O'Hara's coming back. Um, Jenna Ortega, who I had mentioned, who plays Wednesday in that Netflix series, she is playing the daughter of of Winona Ryder's character. And then Catherine O'Hara Hara played Lydia's mom mm-hmm. in the original. So she's coming back. If she is it coming back, Catherine O'Hara is coming, coming back. back. Okay. If all this, you know, sure. it's still, this is still early, but the fact that like it has been announced at some cinema conference, mm-hmm. this movie is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the first couple of names were Winona Ryder, Michael Keaton and Jenna Ortega. Some others have filtered up um, being Catherine O'Hara returning from the original cast. Willem Dafoe, is, yeah, heard is that. attached. And then Justin Thoreau in an undisclosed role mm-hmm. is also attached. So, um, I am curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I really Beetlejuice being one of those very early Tim Burton films. Yeah. Um, and one that I dressed up as for Halloween two mm-hmm. years ago. Um, obviously I have a lot of affection for the film and I really like it. Um, I am leery yeah. of the fact that they are doing a sequel. Sure. However, if you're waiting this long, mm-hmm. the chance for you to cash in on Beetlejuice when you were having movies like Planet of the Apes or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or um, what are some of the, yeah, the Alice in Wonderland thing. Like, granted, maybe he is just cashing in, but you've waited this long to do it. Yeah. And you're getting Michael Keaton, who doesn't, you know, everybody has right. appreciated his return to the big screen. He's going to be in the upcoming Flash movie. Sorry if you haven't seen any of the trailers. Um, but he doesn't need to do this. Well, I don't think I don't think Michael Keaton needs to do it. But no. I think he probably really enjoys the role. Look, I, I so the fact that several of these actors have signed back on to do it right tells me that there's something potentially good here. Because Catherine O'Hara, I think, is Catherine somebody O'Hara. else oh, yeah. who she did. Um, but Shit's Creek. Yeah, yeah. But as far as I, she's like, I no, don't, no, I don't need none of these actors work. needed the work. I mean, right. Christina Ricci's, uh, or not Christina Ricci, um, uh, Renata Ryder. Right. Sorry, Christina Ricci was uh, the, the other Wednesday Adams. I yeah. got confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, uh, you know, Renata Ryder's got you know Stranger, Stranger things, things, and she's got some other things. I think she's involved in. Sure. Jen Ortega is like a very big property in Hollywood right now, right. getting cast in a lot of things. But Michael Keaton, to me, like if you got Keaton back, you got Catherine O'Hara back. It's like, all right, yeah, that tells me that there's something there. Now, the two names I haven't heard, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin. You know, now Alec Baldwin obviously would be a little more uh, right. Could be a little more problematic nowadays. Sure. Gina Davis, I don't know, but it'd be kind of curious. Or I could see them being like cameos, cameos in the film of some sort. Yeah, but yeah. um, look, I'm I'm curious. I am more. If I had heard that the role of Beetlejuice was being recast, I oh. would I would say no. This is trash. This is right. going to be just a cash grab, and we're done. But I trust Michael Keaton right now. Uh, he still hasn't done me wrong on any film role, 
And look, if Top Gun Maverick taught us anything, waiting 30 some years to come back with a sequel yeah. uh, where all of the key people come back to make it happen uh, and it works. The difference with uh, Top Gun Maverick is it was not the same director. That was uh, Tony Scott back in the day, who's no longer with us. True. So we had Joseph, um, I forget his last name, but directed uh, Top Gun Maverick. The fact that Tim Burton's coming back to do his own sequel, I think, is also encouraging. Um, we'll have to see. I am optimistic, though. I am optimistic. I'm optimistic. I think, you know, obviously I'm optimistic. I, I, w- I want to really like a Tim Burton film again. Yeah. I'm going to, one of the things I'm going to do is put Dumbo on my list to see because I just, mm. I was like, I mean, it was, it's one of the few, you know, we, it's one of the few Disney remakes that I haven't seen. Like we talked yeah. about Lion King, all those, the ones that they've remade. Um, so it's one of the ones that I haven't seen, but yeah, this one I'm curious because I think it's when he adapts stuff that it just seems like a real paycheck thing, like the Alice in Wonderland, the Dumbo, the Miss Peregrine's Home for Extraordinary Children, yeah. the Dark Shadows. I mean, it just yeah. But it's That's when right. he and you know Charlie and Chocolate Factory. But it's when he gets adapt- to do an original original right. idea, which obviously Beetlejuice was an original idea when it came out. Right. If he gets to kind of follow up on that, I'm curious if he's how involved in the writing he is of it as well. Right. Um, no, I look. Once I heard Keaton signed on and Catherine O'Hara signed on, I'm like, okay, we're on to something here. Something will be good. And <laughs> right. I'm, I'm anxious to see where it goes. Yeah, I really, I'm, I'm excited for it, but try not to get too excited. I know, I know. Yeah. Well, that was me with Top Gun. Sure. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> Fair excited, enough. but not too excited. Yeah, that's a good, because, this will be, this yeah. will be my Top Gun. Yeah. I mean, this will be my Top Gun is, Maverick. I'll be excited to see it. I'll go see it. But you're hesitant the whole time. Yeah. Like you don't want it to be bad. Um, on that note, I mean, I'm kind of at that point right now this week. From what I've read online, Thursday will be the first day that people will have seen the new Indiana Jones movie. Oh, boy. And we could get some early reactions oh, kind of boy. filtered through. And I'm I'm scared. <laughs> I seriously am scared. I really am kind of dreading. I may not even go online for a mm. while after Thursday because it's like I just don't want to hear that this is Bad. Is it premiering at some somewhere? It's, it's not can though. I don't. Maybe it is. I don't okay. know. But I mean, all I've known is I've just seen this verified a couple of places. Thursday will be when some people will some have people seen will this have movie, seen and if some people have seen it, then something will get up online. Oh, sure. About yeah, reaction, and absolutely. I just don't want to hear that this movie's bad. So <laughs> that's all. I, I don't want. It doesn't, I don't have to hear that it's awesome. I just don't want to hear this bad. Right. That just will give me enough hope. So uh, anyway, see. fair enough. All right, let's move on to our final uh, final note here. This is a project I think you and I can both go ahead and just be behind, and we're excited for no matter what. Um, you and I have had interesting history of discussing films by Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, oh, gosh. Yorgos uh, Lathamos. Yep. I had to make sure I got the name right. Sure. Uh, we have talked about The Lobster. We have talked about The Favorite. Um, I think we didn't talk about... Uh, killing of a sacred deer, but I think you gave a recommendation on it, or at least mentioned it at some point. Um, I love the lobster. I love the favorite. I think those two have been just are amazing films. They're unique. They're, um, challenging, but very, very (laughs) good. Definitely challenging. So I've been kind of anxious to hear what the next film would be. I mean, the favorite was the last one that we saw, right? I mean, did he do a film since then? No, I think that's his last. That's the last one. Okay. Uh, so they, teaser has been released by searchlight pictures for the film poor things. And it is P O O R poor things. Um, and it stars Emma stone 
who we saw also in The Favorite. Uh, it has Mark Ruffalo. And the trailer itself is a very, very short, short trailer, only about 30 seconds long. But let me give you the synopsis and just tell me how, how Lanthimos this sounds. Um, it's an incredible tale and fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist Dr. Goodwin Baxter, played by Willem Dafoe. Under Baxter's protection, Bella is eager to learn. Hungry for the worldliness she is lacking, Bella runs off with Duncan Wedderburn, played by Mark Ruffalo, a slick and debauched lawyer, on a whirlwind adventure across the continents. Free from the prejudices of her time, Bella grows steadfast in her purpose to stand for equality and liberation. Um, the headline on this, this is uh, from Polygon uh, website, Emma Stone is a reanimated corpse with the brain of a baby in Poor Things. So that is the logline there. Reanimated corpse with the brain of a baby exploring the world in this film. Um, wow. I don't have to ask. I mean, you're excited, right? Yeah. So it's like kind of like a take on Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the trailer is bizarre. As I recall. Well, it's really quick. So let's just play it. Sure. And just so we make sure everybody can. Uh, again, you're only going to hear it on the audio podcast. Sure. We recommend go check it out. But this is the uh, trailer for Poor Things. I am finding being alive fascinating. (laughs) Oh. Uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, looks-wise... It's like Wes Anderson yes. meets the guy who directed, which I cannot remember how you pronounce his name. He's a French director who did City of Lost Children right. and Delicatessen. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind of aesthetic. Bright colors, but odd sense. It is uh, definitely a more uh, uh, inventive look to his film. I mean, granted, his films have always had a very uh, unique look to them, but they've always taken place in a very realism set, realistic setting right taking absurd situations in real settings here we've got a very inventive palette he's playing with um, and, and something some about the, the a little bit of the humor reminds me of the director of science of sleep and um oh uh uh gosh what am I? <laughs> we're, we're bad michelle on gondry michelle gondry yeah, yeah and yeah. um there's sunshine of the spotless mind mm-hmm. some of the like yeah it's there's there's a little bit of that going on too this looks I mean, granted, it's a, it's a short little clip. It's hard to gauge, but it looks fascinating. I cannot wait to see it. Uh, anxious, I've been anxious to see what Emma Stone has been is doing because I don't think we've seen her in much. I mean, it might be the last film was the uh, the favorite that we saw her in, possibly. Okay. Um, so uh, fascinating to see them working together again. I am super excited for this movie. As big a fan as his last two productions as I am, I am uh, very much looking forward to this. I know it will not be everybody's cup of tea, but... <laughs> I cannot right. wait. Okay, so that is our news of things coming up. We've got you know some interesting projects along the way. Uh, I think uh, Poor Things is going to be coming out. Gosh, uh, what was the date on that? Um, I think it is this year, right? It should be this year. I mean, obviously it's done or close to done. Right. Um, I know that the other two we talked about, the Ron Howard film is still in early production, so it may be another, at least another year year and a half before we see that one. 
Beetlejuice two. When did they did they give a date on that? Yeah, uh, it was sep- it was September twenty twenty four. Okay, so we got a, about a year a and a half bit. on that one too. Mm-hmm. Okay, good deal. Well, that is the end of our news. Now we come to the end of the show where Chris and I both give a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out. Um, and it needs the only qualification is it needs to be something you can access online, meaning that you could watch it without having to venture to a movie theater. Could be an old film, could be a new film, could be one we've just caught back up with, but it is something we want to recommend to you, the listener. And Chris, I'm going to toss it over to you first. What do you have for us as far as a recommendation for this week? So I'm going to recommend a film kind of in keeping with a little bit of the theme of based on a true story or biographies about people. Um, I recently caught up with a doc that is now on Amazon Prime, uh, premiered on Amazon Prime, I think, uh, Judy Bloom Forever, which, as you may have guessed from the title, is about author Judy Bloom, who wrote uh, books, most for children, but then some from young or young adult teen books, and then she has written some for adults, which I never knew about until watching the documentary. But it focuses on her as kind of a young adult fiction pioneer and how her books change the lives of millions of readers. It kind of has, it's kind of cool where they, she has all these letters that she's kept all throughout the years and they actually track down some of the people that wrote these letters to her and they have them kind of interviewed. Um, so it was just really interesting to learn about her as a person. I had read some of her books when I was a little kid, like super fudge and freckle juice. (laughs) But, um, just interesting to learn about her as a person and what she's doing now. Um, and actually something which I never really clicked on because I was too young at this point, but about how she was kind of a figure in a lot of the banning of books and censorship that has taken place and obviously is still play, taking place today. So um, just something that was kind of curious or for me to see. And it is uh, free if you have a subscription to Amazon Prime and uh, check it out. Okay. And the name of the film again was? Is Judy Bloom Forever. Judy um, Bloom Forever. And I have heard um, that the new movie that came out made from one of her books, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which Alan and I actually did some trailer tapas with that as one a while back. But I've heard that movie is very good, and I mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to check it out yet. But watching this documentary just makes me that much more interested to check that movie out. But I believe it's still in theaters, so might be able to catch it there. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm going to continue on our trend of films that have to do with real people, okay. real stories. All right. Mine's a different slant on it, though. Okay. Um, I always debated whether or not to even recommend these as films, but I do feel like they work as movies. And, and when we're talking about feature length stand up shows, okay. I feel like if a stand up show is produced in a such a way that it, it, it does become a kind of a theatrical experience. I consider it a movie. Are you okay with that definition? Sure. Am I good to go with that. So, I mean, you can't say it's narrative because it's not actors. Right. Doing it. So yeah, 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 yeah. it works. So, uh, John Mulaney, uh, comedian and yes. a writer, Saturday Night Live documentary. Now also stand up comedian of his own, uh, has had an interesting couple of years. He went through drug rehabilitation. He went through a pretty uh, public, uh, and messy divorce. Um, Yes, he's been through some stuff. So he's back on Netflix with a new special called Baby J, which I've had the pleasure of seeing now. And um, it's funny, I'll just say this. I mean, production-wise, it's a, it's a well-shot, really good-looking stand-up performance. Okay. But right at the very beginning, uh, he, he's going right into an initial story uh, about, um, I think what the initial story was. It's something that has nothing to do with, 
his drug addict addiction or intervention he went through. Just another random story. But at the end of the story, he looks up at the balcony and I, I really hope this was not like scheduled or rehearsed. I hope this was as spontaneous as it looks in the film. He looks up and he sees that there's a young, young boy sitting up in the audience in the balcony. And he kind of, he looks, he's like, Hey buddy. He's like, uh, um, What's your name? He's like, why are you here? You know, did like a babysitter call in sick and now your parents had to bring you to the show or type of thing. And he's like, the kid, you can hear him yelling back. It's like, no, I just, I, I, I like your, I'm a big fan. And John Mulaney just says, okay, well, just to kind of let you know, I'm kind of doing a different vibe these days and I don't know how you're going to deal with this stuff tonight. Huh. And basically what he's setting up is that, yes, basically large majority of the special is about his intervention and his dealing with his drug addiction and going through rehab. Gotcha. Uh, he still, obviously, it makes it extremely entertaining and very fun to listen to, but it's a lot more introspective. He is definitely documenting some very uh, trying times in the last few years he's dealt with, um, but still kept it in a very, uh, just a great stand-up performance. So uh, hmm. I, 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 I like his work. Uh, I was curious how he was going to return back to the stage after the last couple of years. And this, this film addresses it right on. Plus I'll also say the theme song for this special, which does kind of come in after the first few minutes is done by David Byrne singing oh. and performing, which is just kind of an interesting little, little song he did. Huh. So uh, I liked it. I thought it was a great, great, uh, great show. So that is John Mulaney, baby J it is on Netflix okay uh, available right now if you have that subscription so if you are a fan of stand-up comedy and especially John Mulaney I think it's very good um, I would just say I probably laughed the hardest I've laughed <laughs> yeah but yet still talking about really kind oh, of tough subject matter absolutely okay yeah yeah uh, well I'll just even tease one bit he has a, a bit of a, a rant he goes on with the fact that there were so many people involved in his intervention. And now he feels indebted to all of them. He's kind of questioning why did they need that many people during his intervention? Because now he feels like he has to acknowledge it every time he sees any of them. It feels like he has to pick up the tab at dinner. He has to do things to kind of thank them. He's like, but why is it so many of them? (laughs) And some of them were over Zoom for the intervention. He's like, really? (laughs) He's making fun of it and all, but by the end of it, there's a nice slate that's like, these people saved my life and thank huh. you to these. It's just, it, he's honest about it, but he still finds ways to take some really interesting viewpoints sure. of, of dealing with addiction. And um, yeah, so it's, it's really good. Okay. It's really, really interesting to watch. I have so. seen it pop up on Netflix, but haven't watched it yet. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm, it's, that it's much worth watching. Curious. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that wraps it up for today. So Chris's recommendation of Judy Bloom forever. My recommendation of John Mulaney, baby J Judy Bloom forever. Where's that right Amazon now? Amazon prime. Amazon prime. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then John Mulaney is on Netflix. We had our reviews of Chevalier and steel, a Michael J Fox movie and Blackberry. We talked about a new Ron Howard movie. Surprisingly enough, we talked about the film poor things by Yagos Lanthimos coming out soon. And we talked about the Beetlejuice two the sequel by Tim Burton that will also be coming out next year. So a lot of stuff we covered, Chris, a lot of opinions are out there on the internet. People have <laughs> sure. thoughts and opinions they want to share with us. How can they uh, dialogue with us if they want to keep the conversation going? You can send an email to info at foot We're also on Twitter at foot candle film. 
Alan and I also try to keep up on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing. Do us a favor, since uh, we give you this show for the amazing price of absolutely free. Uh, Give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. And i got to mention it, the 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival will be September 15th through the 24th. So if you are in Western North Carolina around that time, we would love to have you come and see some films with us. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to a great festival in September. So we hope to see many of you there. It's going to be a wonderful time. Uh, but please let us know any feedback, thoughts you've got, as Chris said. And otherwise, we will be planning to come back with you uh, here in the next couple of weeks with another episode. So until then... Thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to you soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.